before the accident up there? Yeah. Someone got hurt. They did? A lady. She broke her neck. Oh, my God. But you can see her? Yes. Where is she? Standing next to my window. Do you know why you're afraid when you're alone? I do. Hello there, and welcome to Curiosity Killed the Cat. I'm your host, Sarah, and this episode is all about The Sixth Sense, a movie that literally had me running out of the theaters the first time I saw it. And yes, I'm going to be getting into that lovely, fun-filled, non-traumatizing story. Um, This movie uh, is a classic when it comes to modern day horror. I think it'll go down as one of the best scary movies of all time, Um, as terrifying and horrific and um, visually uh, spooky as this movie can get, what it has to say and express about um, life after death and how we can still help each other, how our energies and spirits um, can linger and stay around. looking for looking for some earthly human person to help uh transcend to the other side and this movie uh does it beautifully so um yeah that's what this episode's all about and i really hope you enjoy it i was 12 years old when this movie came out i believe it was 1999 um if i'm doing the math correctly in my head here and um in my uh town of santee california where i used to live uh during elementary school and whatnot uh we had a tiny amc theater kind of walking distance from our our neighborhood and on occasion you know when a, a scary movie or good uh you know action movie would come out my dad would go see a movie by himself pick us up on the way home from school and you know it was just like uh you know now that i'm thinking about it it was pretty quaint um the 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 short distance this theater was from our house so we'd go there a lot it's where we saw all our family movies i think i saw i went on like my first supervised date at this theater so anyways long story short uh this movie's coming out me and my dad you know we like spooky movies my my mom has her own you know she's a, a nightmare before elm street kind of a gal and um you know i've brought this up before they're they're both into very you know these big to-do movies if somebody's talking about them you know you got to go see it it's a spectacle it's an event you know let's go and so my sister was too young to see this movie uh, precious as she is, uh, you know, it, it wasn't her time yet for the sixth sense. And so my mom, as much as she wanted to see it, uh, luckily runaway bride and the sixth sense were starting at the same time in this movie theater. Okay. Um, which FYI families, that's really helpful. Um, sometimes like if you have one kid that's too young to see something, or you have one kid that wants to see something cooler than the other, you know, just split that family in half and, uh, make sure you just go see the same, just go see two movies around the same time and, uh, have at it. Super fun. And it's a tool that can come in handy because if you make the mistake of taking your 12 year old daughter to see a movie that's too scary for her this way, she can run out of it and go into the theater where mom is at. So that's what happened to me. Me and my dad, super jacked. I'm jacked because I get to see it, you know, without you know my sister around and like, you know, like 
not hovering as much as like mom does. And so, um, yeah, I was, I was terrified, but I was ready. And, um, the fucking second little Misha Bartan popped up on screen and said, I'm feeling much better now. And he goes hauling ass out of his little, uh, safety tent with all of his little religious figures, um, and her body and the, and the tent just drops on her and you just see her just sitting there with the fucking red tent blanket over her dead body. Oh God, no, it just, it, uh, <laughs> it threw me and I was like, I think I asked if I could leave a few times <clears throat> and I think my dad was just like, okay, are you sure? Are you sure? And this was the, this was the moment where it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm fucking sure we're going, I'm leaving. So, um, you know, when you, when you come out of the seats of the theater and you have to go around to like get out the door, there's always that long, dark hallway, right. You know, to get back out of it. And, uh, that was terrifying. I don't even want to know what I thought about or felt trying to just walk out of that long hallway of the theater and, uh, hauled ass to the one where my mom and sister were at and, uh, watched, uh, Richard Gere, uh, try to, get to the root of Julia Roberts' runaway bride problems. So that was my introduction to Sixth Sense. Um, luckily, a few weeks later, my mom was ready to see it. And uh, she said, if you could put your big girl pants on, I'll go take you to see it again. And uh, you got to watch the whole thing because there's no theater for you to sneak off and uh, hide in this time. So no no safe space for this feeling of it. And, um, and I did good because when you get to that point in the movie, when the little girl shows up and says, I'm, I'm feeling much better now. Um, that's when the movie takes that beautiful turn. That's when, uh, Haley Joel Osment's character Cole, uh, you know, starts to accept and, um, help the spirits that come to him. Um, and we see Bruce Willis trying to, um, pick up the pieces of what's left of his life, I guess. Um, so anyways, yeah, I just, uh, this movie, it means a lot to me. I haven't rewatched it a whole lot throughout the years, maybe once every few years, throw it on. Um, and so I was going to kind of do what I've been doing with my hello there podcast, uh, watching a little bit of it, recording, you know, reaction and going back and forth, kind of keeping that energy going. Um, so I started to do that and I probably had a good half hour recorded <clears throat> intro, everything. Um, and my sister came in the room and she was like, what are you watching? And I was like, the sixth sense. And she was like, what part are you on? And I was like, literally just, literally just the beginning, like after the Donnie Wahlberg part. And she was like, I'm going to watch it. So started it over, watched it with her, asked her, I was like, do you remember me running into the theater? Um, when you and mom saw Runaway Bride and me and dad saw Sixth Sense. And she was like, yeah, I will never fucking forget it. It's like ingrained in me. So I was like, okay, all right. Thank God. I wanted to make sure my brain wasn't playing tricks on me. So, uh, yeah, it was really nice to, uh, sit and watch a, a good old fashioned scary movie with her. By the time we were done watching it, I was fucking bawling and crying. And I'm like, I just can't handle these, these beautiful scary movies. The ones that have so much to say about what happens when we're, when we're done in the, our physical bodies. And there's this kind of romantic touching element to it. It's why I, it's why Poltergeist is one of my favorite movies 
of all time because outside of skeletons in the pool and a creepy clown doll and your daughter getting sucked into the void of you know the the, the static tv there's this romantic uh beautiful you see the the family dynamic um is really awesome and so i feel like this kind of M. Night Shyamalan sort of carried that same, you know, I want to make a scary movie, but what do I have to say about it? And, you know, poo-poo on people for, you know, talking shit about, you know, the remainder of his career. I I haven't seen every single one of his movies, but I like The Village. I fucking love Signs. Um, Glass is one of the coolest, or not Glass, um, Unbreakable remains to be one of the most sub dude uh has something different to say about superheroes superhero movies i've ever seen um with samuel jackson playing the nemesis to bruce willis's character um there's something uh there's a great there's something that m night Shyamalan captures something about bruce willis that like you know he's a great actor i know he's got a a bit of a a little bit of an a-hole-ish reputation. Um, but, you know, he's he's a fucking handsome dude. He's a great actor, does the job, um, you know, but I'll, I'll never forget what Kevin Smith had to say about him making that uh, that one movie with him and Tracy Morgan. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't so good. And uh, I stand Kevin Smith and I, I believe anything that guy has to say. So um, anyways, Bruce Willis, though, in this and this movie is so, I you know, I don't have the words for it like usual, but the shots of him um, that continue throughout the movie, a lot of um, kind of from the shoulders, like collarbone up, um, just these, these kind of subtle looks that he does. Um, it's very impressive. And I really picked up on his performance this, uh, this watch. And I thought it was, I thought it was really beautiful and I thought he it's to me I think it's probably his best performance like in his whole career so um I really like that and I really enjoyed that so let's get into the uh opening sequence of this film because when it comes to scary movies your opening sequence typically it has to do something it either has to it get some heavy exposition in there in a poppy snappy way or you've got to do, you know, blood splatters against the wall right off the bat. If you're if you're not doing a Drew Barrymore, Wes Craven opening screen type scene, then you got to, you have to figure fucking something out. And the opening scene to this film is so jarring. It 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 melted my mind uh, when I was younger. I I never I never seen anybody in a movie have a have a gun and just pop you off like that and then do it to themselves it was um visually borderline traumatizing for me um at that age and a lot to process and it still is it's still visceral it still shocks you it's still upsetting uh you feel sad for every person in in that room in that scene so with that being said let's uh let's properly kick off the episode with the beginning of the sixth sense so to say that this movie starts off with a bang is a little bit of an understatement um we get this kind of beautiful beautiful uh string kind of score music playing um we see a light bulb 
come on out of the dark in a basement, wine cellar, etc. A beautiful woman comes walking down, purple dress, um, and you could tell that she's she feels something right off the bat. She's a little bit spooked. She goes and she gets the bottle of wine, wipes the dust off, but we see um, we see her get cold. We see uh, this Titanic CGI breath, um, cold breath come out of her mouth, and something's obviously up. And again, you know, as a 12-year-old, when I first saw this, I was like, oh my God, what's happening? What's happening? And my dad was like, the light bulb is turning on. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like it was a lot. And so anyways, she, uh, she goes up the stairs, she grabs the celebratory bottle of wine and we see, uh, Malcolm, Bruce Willis's character. He is looking at this frame plaque thing and, um, kind of being slightly self self deprecating, uh, about this award that he just received. We know that he is, uh, some kind of psychologist for, kids, troubled kids, a doctor, and, um, you know, he got recognized for his work and, um, and, and helping out the youth. And again, he's being not aloof to it, but just a little bit, um, you know, making fun and self-deprecating. And what's really beautiful and to go into like the, not, not just love romantic, but just the sort of, um, this extra layer that the film has, um, just kind of these touching moments um, she is sitting on the floor, like leaning onto him and you could tell that they're, um, very established in their marriage, you know, that they've been married for quite a few years. Um, they are still in love. And, uh, I just thought that their, their relationship dynamic was, um, beautiful and you see what it is, uh, right off the bat. There's no, there's no guessing as to like, oh, do these do they still like each other? How, you know, what's going on here in terms of their dynamic? It's, 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 it is right there, crystal clear. And it's really beautiful to watch. And, um, she explains to him the importance of what the words have to say and the importance of helping kids that need it. And, um, it's really cool because, you know, he kind of comes around and it takes her explaining it to him, you know, through her words for him to, uh, accept it and really, um, understand the weight of, uh, of having such a, such a recognition bestowed upon you. So they're kind of cute. They start kissing whatnot. Time to take, time to take it upstairs. Okay. And, um, he does this kind of like cute thing when he like goes like pop off his vest. Like he's kind of, I don't know. It's cute. Um, they realize that the window is broken and you see a shadow go across the, uh, the bathroom doorway when, um, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And it's really cool because the, the shots that they have of this scene, you have the wife in the corner, Malcolm in his own spot. And then you have, Vincent Gray, Donnie Wahlberg's character in the bathroom. And it's kind of like this sort of triangle between the three of them. And um, Donnie Wahlberg, okay? This guy is like a stacked muscle Boston guy. He's unrecognizable in this movie. And what he does in the few moments 
uh, many seconds that he's on the screen is so impactful, uh, you know, besides just the consequences of his actions here in this scene. But what he has to say and how he says it and expresses it is just fucking mind-blowing. And uh, I just one of, like, the best scary movie uh, performances ever. And he was only in the scene for, you know, a handful of moments. So uh, he he uh, comes out with this statement, right? Um, do you know why you're afraid when you're alone? And he says, I do, I do. And he's crying and he's upset and he's standing there in his underwear, gaunt bags under his, dark circles under his eyes, discolored underwear, and just broken. And um, he's just going on about like, don't you remember me, hero? Uh, single family home, possible mood disorder. Uh, you thought I had anxiety about my parents' divorce. And um, and he basically tells him like, you don't know so many things. And it's just fucking so scary. It's so fucking heartbreaking. And you can see that Malcolm he knows him, but he can't place the name yet, right? And so he kind of lists off a name and a name, and he finally gets to Vincent Gray. And, um, and he just, he couldn't, he couldn't help him. I don't think Vincent was ever able to tell him his secret the way that, um, Cole's character is able to, um, at the halfway mark through the movie. And, um, it's just, it's super devastating. It's super sad. And, um, and when you realize that uh, he has more than something to say, it's very jarring because he pulls out the gun and he shoots Bruce Willis and then himself. And it pans out, obviously, just in time. But, like, I had never seen anything like that at that point. Like, I'd seen a couple little scary movies, you know, um, but not, not that, not that, not that. And so I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I should not have seen this movie. I want to go, but I also don't want to be a bitch. And I want to stay and I want to watch it. So, you know, um, for the people who who say that they knew Bruce was a, was a ghost the whole time, you know, double claps for you. I'm proud of you. Great job. But most of us, most of us did not know that. Most of us did not know that till the end. And then when the end happened, that was a whole other thing for me. That was an existential crisis. It was like, this motherfucker has been walking around this whole movie like a real person, has no idea. And now it's all coming down. And uh, it shook me. It shook me. And when I get to the part where Cole tells them that he sees dead people... Um, there was something I saw in this rewatch that I was trying to explain to my sister, but she just looked at me like I was a fucking crazy person, which is fine. Happens a lot. Um, but there's a flash. So in that scene, we get this, or what I picked up on, again, I don't know if it was there. I don't know if it was on purpose. I don't know if Bruce Willis did this or if M. Knight was like, hey, can you, whatever. When he says that he sees dead people, he is so fucking quick to say and you kind of see this panic in his eyes for a minute and you would think that it would be panic like oh no this kid just told me he sees dead people this isn't going to be good something maybe something really 
bad, you know, really maybe something is truly going on with this kid that I'm not going to be able to fix. Um, I don't think that's what it was. I think for a hot minute, he was like, not me though. Like when he says, I see dead people, he goes, um, like in, um, like in coffins and whatever. And he goes, um, no, like, you know, they're walking around. They, they don't know that they're dead. They look like everybody else. And I just think there was a little bit of panic there, like a little bit of like, well, it can't be me, you know, so you must see people at dead people in coffins or, you know, however, whatever way. Um, so I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. And, um, um, to go back to the opening scene, um, I always thought being younger that there were so many obvious, obviously in the movie, there's supposed to be heavy similarities between Vincent's character and Cole's character. Um, when Bruce, after this opening scene, when we see Dr. Malcolm, um, watching Cole come out of the house and put on the big glasses and walk off to school, we see in his notebook that he has circled everything that Vincent said. Everything that he said verbatim is circled. Possible mood disorder, single family home, acute anxiety due to parents' divorce. Okay? Like, it's like that. Like, that specific. <laughs> so, that's kind of fucking crazy. And um, I was telling my sister, I was like, I swear there was a parallel between Vincent standing there in his underwear. And I think at some point in the movie, Cole, at one point during the night, he gets scared or he goes in the room with his mom or something. Um, and he does. He's stuck in the bathroom when this super creepy, like, housewife lady walks by and starts yelling at him. The lady that had been opening all the cupboards and shit. Um, Cole's in the bathroom in his little, uh, in his little, you know, uh, white tank top and his, and his undies. And it's, and it looks very similar to when Vincent standing scared in the bathroom in, uh, Malcolm's house. So, uh, there's that. And there's also, um, um, Vincent has a tuft of like white grayish hair, um, on like the, the front part of his head. Um, like how sometimes people like they'll have a birthmark and they have just like a little patch of like discolored hair. He has that. And when they show Cole for the first time, as soon as he turns around on the back of his head to the side, he has an even, even bigger patch. Um, so I don't know what they're trying to say there. Obviously the two actors don't have this similar thing. They could, but I don't fucking think so. Um, so it's just really interesting that, the spirit of Bruce Willis's character had to find, had to find a kid who was exactly like Vincent down to every specification. And he probably would have wandered the earth for decades until he found the right kid, the right person to help his unfinished business, help him realize that he's dead and kind of move on to the other side. And in the same vein, it's a yin and yang thing here. Um, Bruce, uh, Malcolm's character needed to show up for, for Cole so he wouldn't end up down the same trajectory as Vincent, you know, so that way he wasn't growing up, breaking into his child psychologist's office or home and doing the same thing. Or having his whole life be ruined because he didn't have the tools to get through this uh, supernatural, horrifying uh, experience that he had to deal with every single day. So 
it's a lot. It's a lot. This movie has so many fucking cool things to say that like, I just, I can't, I can't even get to the bottom of it. So, um, yeah. So then we move into Malcolm, um, watching Cole. He follows him into the church and then they meet each other for the first time. And you can clearly see that Cole's a little bit spooked out that like, you know, obviously there's more going on here than just like a grown up coming to approach him and talk to him. Um, but uh, he's wearing the big glasses that don't have the lens in them. We realized that um, my sister brought up that like everything big or awkward that he wears in the movie most definitely has to come from his dad. Um, and, you know, we get Tony Collette. You know what I mean? There is no there's no mention of the dad. Nothing just in the way that Cole wears these sort of leftover pieces of clothing or accessories that the dad left behind. Other than that, nobody brings him up other than Malcolm's character. Um, so that's kind of interesting too. And so from the very beginning, right off the bat, we see um, Cole again with like the oversi oversized uh, kind of random, not very kid youthful like, you know, accessories. Um, you know, and again, they have to all obviously come from his dad. Um, when we see, uh, Bruce Willis and Tony Collette sitting in the living room of their apartment together, obviously no interaction between the two, but he comes home from school and, um, you know, he asks, they both ask each other how their day went and it really sets the tone of like this beautiful, beautiful relationship the two have, how fierce she is when it comes to trying to figure out what's going on with her son, uh, trying to protect him from whatever the fuck it is that is going on. Uh, she doesn't know what it is. She, she knows something unexplained is going on, but like, just can't get into it yet. You know what I mean? And, um, it's really sad because there's these moments where if something spooky happens or like the, the bumblebee pin part, he's like, do you think I'm a freak mom or what are you, are you thinking bad things about me? And she's like, look at my face. Do I look like I'm thinking bad things about you? Or even when she got kind of mad or upset with him, she was like, look at my face. I'm not really that mad. And it's, you know, you watch it now as a mom, it's, uh, it's very important. Uh, this movie has a lot to say about the dynamic between those two as well. And I just, it's, it's beautiful. So, um, this little exchange between the two of them, she sort of says, you know, like, uh, she won the lottery, quit her job and she went swimming in the fountain. And I think she says like, got a chocolate sundae or something like that. And then when he describes his day, he says that he got picked first on, I don't know, dodgeball or four square, some game kickball. And the kids all lift him up, lifted him up on his shoulders and, I just want to give him a hug. Like, it's so sad. Like, like I've had one time, like a couple times where like, you know, my, my, my sons have had a bad day at school and like, I'll never forget one of the last days of the year, this, this, this last closing out this last year, he got in the car at pickup and I was like, Hey, how was your day? And he just went, it was the worst day ever. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like 
I don't know if I'm prepared for this. And uh, it was it was a bummer. Some kids were not being very nice to him in, in class. And I just was like, oh, God. So this poor kid, man, every day is not a good day for him. And we see it when he goes off to school with Tommy Tomasino, that little fucking shithead who most definitely grew up to be some type of a proud boy. January 6th, stormed the Capitol, motherfucker. No doubt in my mind. Um... But, uh, yeah, who pretends to be his friend. What a dick. What a dick of a kid. Um, I'm so glad he got the, the, the casted as the village fool at the end of the movie in the play when Cole got to be little, uh, little, little King Arthur. So anyways, um, you know, you just see that this kid is fucking clearly going through it and, um, in, in the most, uh, tippy toe way as possible, Malcolm is trying to work his way in, gain his trust, and um, see if he could get to the bottom of why this kid um, is having troubles. Um, he sees in the church that he has kind of like scratch marks, bruises on his um, on his wrist, um, and it's just you know, it's just like what the what the fuck is going on with this this beautiful kid. Um, and I thought it was interesting in the part where he is in class and, um, uh, the teacher is asking everybody what they like thought about, like, you know, do you know what this building was used before going into the whole, like Philadelphia, Philadelphia, you know, beginning of America, blah, 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 history snooze fest. Okay. And Cole is like, I'm going to raise my hand and say, this, they used to hang people here. They would cry and scream as they'd be separated from their families. And the teacher was like, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not sure who told you that. But, uh, you know, if, if one of these kids sounds like one of these, these kids is trying to pull your tail and he's like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they hung people here. And the teacher starts to get really fucking upset. And that's when Cole says, you are a stuttering Stanley. The kids used to call you stuttering Stanley. And he starts screaming it, screaming it, screaming it. And the teacher finally gets so upset, so worked up. He bangs on his desk with his fist and he says, like, shut up, you freak. And he stutters while he says it. And it's just like, holy fucking shit. And th the teacher gets freaked out because he's like, who, who, <laughs> who told you this? And it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. Who told you this? Uh, probably some fucking ghost that used to fuck with you, teacher dude. So anyways, um, it's super upsetting. He gets sent to the office and, um, Malcolm appears rather than his mom. You know, she works two jobs. I think she explains at some point. Um, and you know, that's why she's, you know, absent during these certain parts of the film because, you know, she's doing all she can to keep, you know, everything, uh, afloat and moving forward in, um, her life and her son's life. It's just the two of them. It's just the two of them. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, um, Malcolm and him continually get closer. Um, the dynamic becomes more protective. And, uh, I think what I'll do now is get into that dynamic with, uh, Malcolm and his wife. Um, we see, um, after he's, he comes into the film again, meets Cole, he goes home, he sees one dish 
you know, for dinner made at the table and she is, uh, lying in the bed by herself and you could see the breath, um, on her face and she pulls up the blanket and, um, you know, clearly the dynamic and their relationship status is not what it was when we first came into the film. And, you know, we all know why, uh, once you see it, you can't unsee it, but it's still super sad. Anytime rewatching it, just thinking that this lost soul of a man is just stuck watching his wife grieve and go through this process and not be able to let go because he can't let go. And it's just so fucking much. It, I just, this part, it just, the whole climax at the end when he <clears throat> finally lets go and says goodbye to her, it's, there's so much build up towards that moment that like, it's just, it's so rough. And so, you know, the way he moves through the house, how he goes down to the basement and the door is always locked. Um, how he's always wearing either the blue dress shirt with his gray coat and dress pants, or he's wearing his, uh, Liberty rowing, uh, team sweatshirt. Um, you know, they, they really, they just fucking played that fucking twist so well, so fucking well. And again, you just sort of think that like the wife has grown cold to him. He has picked up, you know, he's gone balls deep into his work. Um, and you know, that's just part of the sacrifice of this, of this job when you have to save kids that are going through these, um, horrific, uh, you know, that are really fucking going through it. So, it's set up beautifully and we start to see these little, this little thread of, um, there's a younger man that works for her in her antique store. And I think he stops by, he stops by one day. I think she left something, something like that. And he's down in the basement, you know, old ghost Bruce Willis. Okay. And he sees, you know, he hears the two talking and he looks up out of the window and he sees the guy turn around and, uh, almost come back to knock on the door, maybe to just say one more thing. And he turns around and he goes and he goes, that's right. Keep on walking. Cheese dick. And me and my sister, we laughed so hard. We couldn't remember what the hell it is that he, he called the guy. We were like, do you call him dipstick? Dip, dip, uh, maybe he called, no dipshit. Maybe he called him a dipshit. No, I think it was dipstick. No, no, it was cheese dick. So I thought that was a, a great, a great piece of a uh, little humor that we needed. We see that kind of, you know, that little jealousy pop up. And, um, I bet the room got really cold in that moment because Cole tells them that, um, when they're angry, it gets cold. So yeah, that's another thing to pay attention to throughout the movie. It's not just when ghosts appear, it has to do with, um, their anger level, <laughs> uh, or them getting upset. So, that's a, that's a pretty cool thread that I really, uh, really like and appreciate on, um, on this last rewatch of it. Um, but getting back into Cole and, uh, Malcolm, when it comes to the part where Cole is at the hospital and he has to, he's ready to tell him his secret. Um, we've gone through the scene of where Cole gets invited to this birthday party. They make it perfectly clear that, um, 
Tony Collette's character makes it clear that he hasn't been invited to one in a long time. Chuck E. Cheese. And of course, the fucking Karen of a mom is like, I'm sorry, Chucky, what? And she's like, Chuck E. Cheese. It's a kid's place. Like, fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> never mind. So, the audacity, okay, already we've got privileged little kids running around this freaking house. And Tommy Tomasino and the kids whose birthday it is, who... The Tommy Tomasino kid's like, oh, why is he here? And the other kid is like, oh, my dad made me invite him. And it was like, I, it just was interesting because usually it's like, oh, my mom made me invite him or like, oh, the teacher makes us invite everybody to birthday parties, whatever. It just was very interesting that he said like, my dad made me invite him. I just, it stood out to me this time. And so these two little fucking assholes, not that you should call a kid an asshole, but like these kids are fucking assholes. Okay. I would not want my kid hanging around with them or being like them. <laughs> um, they Cole standing. He went up the stairs, followed this fucking red balloon. Definitely a nice little Stephen King nod. Uh, another Stephen King nod. I thought when Cole was getting into the stuttering Stanley, uh, aspect of the movie with the teacher in it, uh, Stanley, uh, Uris, I think is his name, um, is one of the characters in the movie. And Bill is the one who has the stuttering problem. So anyways, I just thought maybe that's a little nod. I don't know. And the red balloon, soft little touch. Great. So Cole ends up at the top of the stairs, this cabinet, there's voices coming out of it. Very distressed, very upset again, cold. Um, and he's just kind of tripped out and entranced by it. And instead of walking away, he's just kind of stuck where he's at. And uh, these two little shit bags, man, they walk up the stairs and they're like, we want to play. We're going to do a play called, you know, shove you in the fucking closet. And you're going to be the kid that gets shoved in the closet. And then they shove him in the closet. And then those two are just left standing there dumbfounded while he is screaming bloody murder. Something is clearly happening to this goddamn kid. And, uh, they're just standing there. They don't know what to do. And again, I kind of was telling my sister, I was like, well, maybe they were freaked out. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they pissed their pants. And she was like, I don't know. Fuck those kids. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Fuck them. I hope they pissed. I hope they shit themselves. So anyways, uh, you know, mom comes fucking hauling ass up the goddamn stairs and can't open the door. Finally it pops open. And, uh, you know, next thing we know, she's at the hospital talking to Dr. M. Night Shyamalan um, about his injuries. They, they're wondering if there could be possible abuse, whatever. And the poor kid is just covered in bruises and scratches. And that's where we get Malcolm being asked to tell a bedtime story to Cole. And he gets this awful bedtime story about driving and driving and being so tired you fall asleep and then you wake up and you're still driving. And he's like, dude, you have never fucking told one of these stories before, have you? And he's like, no, I have not. And um, then we get into, I see dead people. You're the fuck one of them, bro. I'm looking right at you. And Bruce Willis is looking right at him like, I know I'm a ghost, but I am not going to acknowledge it right now. Now is not the time tell me you see the ghosts in the graves and not right in front of you. And it's like, no motherfucker. These ghosts walk around thinking they are like everybody else. They do not know that they're dead. They do not know that they are stuck somewhere and they get angry and they get upset. And he's just like, I, how the fuck am I going to help you now? And, um, it's really sad because, um, 
once Tony Collette is like, she's doing laundry and she sees all his baby pictures on the wall and there's this kind of like light orb thing that's in every single picture. She sees his free association words from all the, the hateful, sad, scary things that these spirits have said to him, you know, written on paper. Um, he says that he got in trouble for drawing a picture with a screwdriver in a guy's neck before, and he doesn't draw like that anymore. He draws rainbows, puppies, the like. And, um, you know, so it's sort of like, okay, well, what do we do now? And when Malcolm meets up with him again, he tells him like, I don't think I could be your doc, your doctor anymore. Um, I have to, I have to worry about my family and I need to fix my family. And he says something very poignant right here. He says, I haven't been paying much attention to my family and bad things happen when you do that. And it reminded me of a moment in the movie Hook when Robin Williams character gets upset at his, at his kids for talking while he's on a cell phone and he yells at his son and he says, grow up, why don't you? And his wife sits him the fuck down, all right, and tells him, listen, they're only little for a short while. They only want to play with you for a, while, a short while and you are missing it. You are fucking missing it and you'll never get it back. And I just, every time I watch that movie, that part just fucking smacks me upside the face. And, um, you know, and that's what this reminds me of just the way he says, and bad things happen when you do that. Um, it just was pretty poignant. And Bruce Willis just delivered the line like a, a fucking champ. And so, um, uh, you know, um, I just, I just, there's just some lines in this movie that can't, can't be um understated and they're just kind of thrown in there and if you if if you don't pick up on it you know there's there's this kind of nuanced level of of sort of uh of reckoning in in this movie kind of um not that Vincent or not that Malcolm failed Vincent completely I just don't think he knew what to do with him as as a kid and clearly he, he was doing good with the rest of his work, but somehow, some way Palpatine returned. No, somehow he slipped through his fingers and, you know, that whole opening scene was kind of a reckoning and the rest of this movie is, is Malcolm, you know, trying to finish the business of Vincent through Cole and, and also finish the business with his wife. And I just, I don't know. I just love it. It's beautiful. And, um, this movie just, it doesn't cease to fucking impress me. So going to get into, uh, the scary ghosts that pop up in this movie and, uh, fucking little Misha Bartan popping up again, needing her, uh, needing her Munchausen by proxy murder solved. Yay. Let's get into the ghosts of this film. Um, we have everybody ranging from, Malcolm to, uh, you know, the little, the little girl who, uh, seems to have died from some kind of a sickness, but we find out that that's not necessarily the case. Um, and the makeup they do for her is stellar. That yucky throw up stuff that comes out of her mouth, whatever they have her vomiting in that fucking tent is, uh, it's disgusting. It's just texture-wise 
can't do it. Um, but we also get the, uh, <clears throat> the boy in the hallway who says, do you want to come see my dad's gun? And then when he turns around, the back of his head is uh, JFK'd. Uh, it's not really there anymore. Uh, always reminds me of um, anytime there's a, there's a missing chunk in somebody's skull, it reminds me of uh, a passage in one of the George R.R. R. Martin Duncan Egg books. Um, they are uh, related to Game of Thrones and whatnot, Song of Ice and Fire universe. And um, there is this um, young knight <clears throat> who has to kind of do this sort of trial by combat type deal. It's called the Trial of the Seven. And so him and seven knights have to fight seven other knights. And um, this Targaryen prince, older Targaryen prince, comes and stands up for him and fights on his side, <clears throat> on this, you know, young, unknown knight side. And um, when the, the battle's over and they're all recovering, you know, like in the hospital wing, Harry Potter style, um, this prince, this really badass prince, complains about his head hurting and his words start to slur. And then he goes to pull off, he asks for help. Um, taking off of taking off his helm, you know, his helmet thing, his metal helm that's bashed in in the back. And as soon as the helmet slides off, so does some of his skull. And when you read that and you and and your mind, every letter of every word is constructing an image in your brain. And finally, the computer's done loading and you have that set finished image. You can never unbuild it, unsee it. It is there forever and so <clears throat> I think uh, I think the reason why that was so traumatizing to read is because this this moment in the book was um or not in the book this moment in the movie <clears throat> with this you know 70s kind of looking kid uh it just is very jarring and uh it sticks with you <clears throat> then we get the uh lovely housewife who uh I was obviously getting beaten by her husband and she's the one that's been fucking around with the cabinets um the whole time and um she's just very scary very scary uh she kind of puts her arms up like the chick from Beetlejuice and is like you can't hurt me anymore because I already I did it myself and it's just a lot <clears throat> and it shows you why Cole was so scared you know when he when he encounters these angry and confused spirits, entities, people, whatever, that haven't crossed over, um, that's a lot to feel as a tiny little child. Um, so, yeah, I just, I feel so much, I don't know, empathy. I feel so bad that this little fictional, you know, boy has to endure um, such heaviness in a way that um, the people around him can't understand or quantify, no matter how hard they try. Um, uh, Ghost-wise, we also get the three hanging bodies in the school after the play. And um, I believe this is, is this after, this might, this might be after he told him that he, he saw dead people. Um, you know, that's when he tells him, like, you know, the, like, when the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, he's like, that's, 
that's them. You know, that's that's when they're here. And that's his moment of explaining, you know, I I know, you know, why you're afraid when you're alone. He gets it. And so <laughs> just the way <clears throat> that the ghosts are done and how very, very significantly done. Uh, it's done in a, such a significant way that these ghosts are meant to look like regular people walking around. <clears throat> they just have their, their injuries, you know, however they left the world attached to that physical look. And um, in the very beginning of the movie, when Cole and his mom are in the kitchen and he's eating his Cocoa Puffs, and she walks out of the room for one second, maybe to change out the laundry, bring in a basket, something like that. Uh, when she comes back in, all the cupboards are open, and it's very reminiscent to Poltergeist in the uh, the uh, the old kitchen scene, right, when um, the kids are arguing, and they're like, ask dad, ask dad, and then they all leave, and then anyways, Chairs are on top of the table while they're eating breakfast. The uh, spoons and forks are getting all wonky. So this was a nice little callback to that. Um, again, the the effects in this movie are so, um, so unreal. Just absolutely flawless. And so we know that she's only been out of the room for such a tiny, short few seconds that there's no way that this kid could have hopped up, opened up every fucking one of these cupboards, drawers, cabinets, the whole, whole nine yards. He's sitting there frozen and his shoulders and his whole body is so tense and so freaked out and paralyzed. It's just, it's so upsetting and you feel so, you feel so much for his mom, so much for him and you just see how dire um, the circumstances are. Um, she even says it at the point when, um, they bring up like the, the, the grandma stuff and the pin that keeps disappearing from the mom's room. Um, this little bumblebee pin that belonged to her mother. And, um, she asks him why he keeps moving it. And he's like, I don't move it. And she tells him, you know, if we can't talk to each other, trust each other, whatever, we're not going to be able to make it. Like, you know, she's basically telling him I'm barely hanging on as it is. And if I can't, figure out how to help you or what's going on with you. I don't know, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen, um, whatever that means. And so we get that really, you know, kind of sad scene in, in just barely later on when she's, you know, in the laundry room crying and he comes in and he's like, if you're not too mad, can I sleep with you tonight? And then that's when she says, you know, look at my face. I'm not very, you know, I'm not very angry. And it's just, it's just so good. Um, there might be some uh, some background noises of my kids uh, can't be helped. <laughs> uh, school time. So anyways, um, those are the ghosts that just freak me the hell out. Don't like it when missing chunks of heads are gone. Um, you know, the, the sickness with Misha Bartan's character was done super well. Um, the hanging people, Bruce, <laughs> Malcolm, when he figures out what's going on with him. Um, that's a very visceral scene, which, uh, I think I might as well just sort of get right into. So, so from here, once, um, 
once Cole and Malcolm kind of come back together after Malcolm sort of states, I can't be your doctor anymore, whatever, um, they figure out, both of them, that maybe these ghosts just need some help. Maybe, maybe they're, you know, they're obviously confused. They don't know where they're at. They don't know what they're doing. You know, where they left off is where they've been stuck. And so they figure out, you know, let's try to help them and see, see where that goes. Okay. And so first step is the little sick girl. And so, you know, when I was 12, go running out of the theater, right, right when she, she shows up and, and, and that's the whole arc and the whole change in the movie where, um, as soon as he runs away, he comes back and you kind of see her, her little body, you know, sitting there with the, with the blanket on top of her. And, um, that's when he asks her, you know, at the, in the bravest way that this little kid can, he asks her, you know, um, is there something you need to tell me? I think that's what he says. Not like, can I help you? It's like, you know, is there something that you need to tell me? Or is there something that I need to know? And then we get, you know, the fucking funeral. <laughs> we get this insane fucking uh, out of left field gobsmacked moment in the movie, right? Because like we're, we're now we're kind of like left this sort of you know, territory where Cole's getting scared every, every few minutes because of what's going on. You know, he's finally, um, able to set boundaries a little bit with these, uh, with these spirits that present themselves to him. And, um, we see him and Malcolm making their way through the funeral. They go upstairs to her room. And, um, I think just ever so briefly as we're making our see through the black clothing you know, everybody's in mourning. This young, you know, this young girl has died. And uh, obviously very, everybody's fitting, fittingly upset. And so as they make their way through the crowd, we get this very uh, tiny glimpse of a blonde woman, very Karen waspy looking woman in a red uh, suit. Again, stands out against all the sea of black clothing and so they make their way up to her bedroom and um I think Malcolm stayed outside the room yes because Cole goes in there and she presents herself underneath the bed grabs his ankle you know gotta get gotta get one more fucking jump scare in there right so she grabs his ankle and slides over the tape or the box or something and um from from that moment you're like okay, like what, what on earth, where could we possibly, possibly be going with this, okay? So he takes it downstairs, and we see this father just in this beautiful, heartbroken, just, uh, just drowning in grief. Cole says, um, you know, she wanted you to see this, gives them the box, and we move over to a little wooden cabinet, very, very, uh, just, God, all the houses in the 90s, I swear to God, look like this fucking house uh, that were on TV. This little cabinet, little TV, pops it in, and we get her playing with her little dolls, her puppets, being super cute, super sweet, you know, and, and he laughs, and, um, she can hear, uh, her mom coming up the steps 
And so she puts the dolls away real quick. She gets in bed and she acts like she's sleeping. And you're kind of like, oh, okay. And the mom sets the tray down and there's a cup of milk and a bowl, a clear bowl, right, of um, chicken noodle soup. Just definitely Campbell's chicken noodle soup. And she grabs a bottle of what looks like a movie version of like pine salt, like wood cleaner. Because my sister was like, what the fuck is that like supposed to be? Like what kind of like cleaner is that supposed to be? And I was like, I don't know. It kind of looks like a knockoff movie version of, of that. Like, you know, you, do you guys remember the pine salt lady? I remember the pine salt lady. So anyways, this fucking bitch does this, uh, what was the movie? What was that show Amy Adams was in with freaking Patricia Clarkson? And Patricia Clarkson was the mom and she was fucking keeping the girls sick. Anyways, whatever. That's what we have going on here, okay? And as I'm watching this with my sister, she goes, this is the first time I ever knew what, this is when I found out what Munchausen by proxy was. And I was like, wow, (laughs) that's quite a memory. So, um, anyways, she, uh, brings the soup over to her and she says like don't tell me it tastes funny this time and uh (laughs) then we get it like cut away to the dad and um yeah it's bad it's really bad and one thing my sister noticed is in the room when they're when um Cole's walking through it and we see all of her dolls up on the shelf she has a card that says it's not very fun being sick and it was just kind of like that's such a weird wording for like a handwritten kind of kid drawing card whatever it just it stood out um and so the dad right like if we if we thought we were getting this parting of the of the black sea moment when Cole and Malcolm were going through the room it uh it's intensified now with the dad making his way to the mom and we see her there in the red with the red lipstick and he just I think he looks at her and he's like you kept her sick or you made her sick and she just sort of like puts her head up and doesn't say anything and it's the coldest creepiest thing ever like ever Um, somebody had put something on Twitter not too long ago, like underrated villains or something like that. And somebody put a picture of that bitch up there. It was just like this blonde lady in the red suit. And I was like, is that the mom? Is that the fucking bad mom from Sixth Sense? Anytime, anytime (laughs) somebody's wearing red like that at a funeral. Red flag, a literal red fucking flag. Okay, so that's uh, that was that. Okay, first mission accomplished. Way to go, Cole. He leaves before the dad even put the VC, but put the the thing on. He was outside with Malcolm, and the last thing that he does is he gives the little sister, uh, the little one of the little puppets. It's like a little jester puppet, and he said she wanted you to have this, and um, he tells her. Uh, she protected you, you know? And me and my sister were like, yeah, he meant like she, she, (laughs) she protected her little, she protected her sister from the same fate as 
herself. And um, I don't know if you know anything about being an older sister to a younger sister. It's just like your number one job in life is to make sure that like they survive. And uh, we both, we were super upset and yeah, it's, it's pretty emotional. And one thing that like I've noticed like anytime hearing stories about like the beyond or people, you know, maybe coming in contact with people who have left this world or whatever, like the messages that come through, it seems like always have to do with, uh, you know, like a protect, like some kind of a message about protection or, or watching out, still looking after you, those type of things. And I just think that's kind of cool. And it's really, it's really, um, poignant that this movie, um, really drives that home throughout the rest of this film. Because, um, from here they leave and, um, uh, it's time for, Cole to talk to his mom about what's going on with him and it's time for Malcolm to get back in tune with his wife and get to the bottom of of their business and what's been going on and so uh I think when I last checked in with Malcolm and his wife um he'd seen the dude the dude show up at the house called him a cheese dick um and then we see uh, this really cute scene inside of her store of a couple looking for an engagement ring. Um, it's really sweet. The dynamic between like the three of them is really funny. The couple trying to buy this ring and her selling it. Um, she goes upstairs and the young guy's there again. She gifts him a present and they hug, embrace, and they begin to kiss. And she's a little bit hesitant. And when she walked upstairs, you heard a bell ring from down like somebody coming in the door and then when they start kissing you hear the glass break and you hear the the door the bell ring again as somebody walks out and then the camera you know pans to the back of Malcolm walking really fast and kind of upset down the road and it's really interesting because as he's walking away really upset he's clutching his side where he got shot in the stomach by Vincent and I never noticed that before but like, shit, like, I don't know. It was, it was really intense. And so, you know, he's getting increasingly, you know, frustrated with the situation with his wife, um, meets her for their anniversary dinner and she doesn't say anything to him. Um, <clears throat> it almost looks as though he has a glass of, um, a bottle and glass of water set out for him. But when the camera gets closer, the angle changes a little bit and you see that it's clearly hers, not his. So, you know, he goes to grab the check. She pulls it before he can. And it's just so fucking well done. It is so seamless. And, um, when, um, when he realizes that, uh, he's not <clears throat> truly here on earth anymore, you know, he has that moment, the one night where he sees the, uh, he sees the <clears throat> wedding video of the bridesmaid that's, you know, telling her to make sure you, you love her, that girl, she's like my sister, yada, yada, really drives home that, like, they were fucking in love, um, so in love theme, and <clears throat> it's nice that this movie ends with love, um, before I get to him fully realizing that he's dead and a ghost, <clears throat> we get a scene of Cole and his mom in the car 
there's an accident that had happened and the camera pans, you know, several cars down from it <clears throat> to them too. And um, she's like, oh my God, like, this looks like a bad accident. I hope nobody died. And um, he basically tells her, yeah, somebody did die. There was a lady up there and she broke her neck. And she was like, you can see that? And it's like, they're like a good 15 cars behind. Okay, maybe like 10, whatever. Um, and she's like, how do you know that? And he says, because she's standing outside of my window. And this ghost, these are all post post ghosts from the from from once he realizes you know things are cool things are okay um oh yeah yeah he has his little play where he gets to pull the sword out of the stone and tommy tomasino was the fucking village fool like he should be and um before he goes on stage um he's getting his he's talking to uh a lady you know with curls you know this very vintage style hairdo and uh, the teacher, the Stanley teacher comes in and is like, who are you talking to? And he's like, oh, like nobody. And uh, when she walks by, the whole side of her is like burned. There's burn marks all over her. And so when they walk away, the teacher's like, did you know that when I went here, there was a really, you know, big fire, blah, blah, blah. And Cole's just like, yeah, I knew about the hanging people. I definitely know about the fire. Uh, so it's pretty cool. He gets this glorious moment where he pulls out the sword Malcolm watches and um and it's beautiful then they have this really nice ending um together and uh and I think Malcolm's the one that suggests like I think you should probably tell your mom you know what's going on at this point Cole's just like good luck with your wife in his little like tiny child old man way that he has um and uh it's it's really beautiful it's really touching and um when he's in the car with his mom you know she she kind of says you know I'm sorry you know sorry I, I I couldn't be at the play you know I have a couple jobs blah 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 and he's like well I'm not really that's not really what he's upset about he's he's ready to tell her his secret and when he explains you know that the the dead lady was right by his car and we get the fucking you know biker lady and the helmet with the blood all over her it's just like oh my god I just can't take it there's so many of them oh there's so many in the movie I can't I don't like it uh so she walks away uh god knows who needs she needs help from him I guess I guess he helped her in a I guess he helped her really fast so plus this poor kid his scared ass still has to deal with these fucking entities and um he's just like yeah mom I see dead people and she's just sort of like please don't fuck with me and he's like, then he brings up grandma, her mom. And she just is like, okay, you better not be fucking with me now. And he says, um, you know, it, <clears throat> it wasn't me who has been taking the bumblebee pin. He explains that the, uh, the grandma just really liked it. And um, she wanted to let you know that she saw you dance. And she starts breaking down crying and you just want to like crawl up in a freaking fetal position and start crying and he says um yeah you guys had an argument like that she couldn't come to your recital and she wants wanted you to know that she saw you dance and it's so good it's so you just see as freaked out as she is by this kid's gift she's so relieved like it's like she knew 
something out otherworldly was going on with this kid and was bothering this kid. And, um, uh, you know, then he says, um, what did you ask her, you know, the day that, that she was buried when you were standing over her, her grave or whatever? Um, cause, cause grandma says, yes, she wants you to know. Yes. And then breaking down even fucking more. She says, uh, I, I asked her, do I make you proud? And it's just, it's glorious. It's so glorious. It's heavy. And, and he just says like, oh mama. And they hug each other. And it's just like, you know, that they have another chapter to start together in this world. They have at least a few tools to figure out how to navigate through this gift, burden, whatever Cole has to deal with. And you know that he's not going to have the same fate as Vincent. So voila. Um, but uh, Malcolm is still solving one last piece to his puzzle. Um, at one point when the wife was, uh, uh, you know, one of the, those masterful scenes of him interacting with her but without her interacting with him um she's in the shower and he sees a a, you know a brand new prescription bottle in the medicine cabinet and I think it was um some type of antidepressant or anxiety um and I think she even kind of shivered and got cold in the shower um so things start to come to a head he sees the um he sees that his office has his books and, um, and, uh, desk blocking, you know, that cool red glass knob, which, um, I totally forgot to get into, uh, at one point when he is down in the basement and trying to figure out this cool stuff, he plays an old tape from one of Vincent's sessions. And, um, in the session, he leaves the room for a minute, then he comes back in and he states like, you know, oh God, it's cold in here. Like, you know, let's get started. And, um, he rewinds it, turns it up and rewinds it and turns it up. And eventually you get this angry, lost, scared voice in the background, angry, right? Making the room cold. And, um, it's fucking that, that auditory scare like that is just, it just this whole movie meant messes with your senses it just messes with all of your different senses and um yeah so by the time you know he sees the wedding tape is playing again um she's lying on the couch his ring his wedding ring comes spiraling out underneath it rolls towards him and he sees that she still has her on and his is off sees that the fucking um door to his office is closed and um you know with the desk and the books can't get in okay uh and he starts walking up the stairs and he walks halfway up there and he's leaning against the wall having an absolute panic anxiety attack and as he is against the wall the wallpaper is the same print as the comforter on their bed or the pillows or whatever at least so the backgrounds are interchangeable and he he standing up on the stairs he turns around and then you see the blood from the back of the gunshot wound 
and that's when if you didn't know he was a ghost yet that's when you're like oh my god like for me this existential like this guy's been walking around this whole time thinking he's a real person and he's not like my brain was not prepared for that at age 12 I didn't know that that was a possibility in this lifetime in this world (laughs) um and so that really freaked me the fuck out okay and so uh then it then it flashes back to where the opening scene cut off of him in the bed with with his wife you know putting pressure on the wound and he kind of says like um you know I, I think I'm okay I think it went right through and I forgot to mention in that opening scene before they they they, they cut out um when he's lying on the bed and she comes to him he says did Vincent because I have the captions on I think he was going to say, did Vincent hurt himself? Did Vincent do it? Is Vincent okay? He, his first concern was for Vincent. So like, even though, you know, the sad man was in his, you know, bathroom and shot him and killed himself, he was still, he still saw that little boy and he still needed to save him. And that's how he died. He died with not just confronting this reality, but it being even more layered than that. And so it just is crazy. And so, you know, when he says he's okay, thinks it went through, you know, she turns him over and you just see his whole back is covered in just this wine burgundy shade of red. And it's just, it's not good. It's not good. And then we get all the flashes of him, of what we thought was him interacting with people, but him not interacting with people. And he comes to, and he realizes that his business is finished that his that Vincent Gray can can hopefully whatever whatever wherever his spirit is can move on he knows that he saved Cole Cole saved him and now it's time to say goodbye to his beautiful wife his beloved wife and um He is so sweet and so tender with her. Um, Okay, like the Whitney Houston hit song, I get so emotional, baby. Um, Yeah, sorry, had to take a, had to take a, had to stop it. Had to reel it back the fuck in, okay? So it's, um, he's so tender with her. He knows that she can't keep living in a space of grief and this limbo purgatory like he's been in and he tells her you've never been number two not for a second and basically it's like the Tony Stark you know Pepper Potts you know it's okay like everybody's fine it's okay you can go now and he's kind of telling her you know I I'm okay and you're gonna be okay and you can move on and you can live uh, because you're, because, <laughs> because that's not what was happening with her. Um, she was very much dying, um, wallowing or not, I mean, being swallowed. Oh my God. I did not mean to say wallowing, being swallowed by her grief and by his presence being so confused and torn up and not knowing, uh, where it is that he needed to go. And so just, on that note, that's it. He says goodbye. 
and they pan to the wedding video of them kissing and it's like fuck dude like you just ended one of the craziest gnarliest scary movies ever with a beautiful wedding video nostalgic kissing scene and I just I loved it and it's that was the whole message of the movie I'm getting back into that emotional territory again but um that's why this movie is such a standout amongst horror movies um you know for me I like a good a good you know slasher film don't get me wrong um but like the, the best ones for me always have that um touching elements they have a lot to say um there are these beautiful loving moments sprinkled throughout and then when you end it on on such a note on such a hopeful note it's not cheesy. It's really beautiful. Everything built up for it. And um, just what a fucking movie. What a stunning, beautiful piece of art. And I'm so grateful we have it. Um, I'd love to maybe eventually get into Signs because that movie is like, swing away, Meryl. Swing away. Uh they're good. These are classics. Me and my sister, we were like, uh, the village fucking slapped. Um, it'd be nice to watch that again. I haven't seen that in years and years and years. And, um, the twist in that one's super good. So it'd be nice to rewatch that and see all the little, the little pieces there. But, um, God, what they do with Bruce Willis with the clothing and never seeing him from behind. It's, it's, it's great. It's, it's stellar. So Thank you for joining me on this episode. Um, I'm not sure what's coming next. Uh, just got done with an episode with uh, Sir Matt from Bend the Knee doing Suicide Squad. So stay tuned and uh, make sure you check out the new podcast, Hello There, all about the Star Wars animated series in that whole universe. So have a good weekend. Stay safe. Stay curious. And um, for the love of God, please try not to see dead people if you do just ask them if they need help do what you can if you can't help let them know keep your boundaries okay i i heard that if if you say if you ask them to stay away that they they will uh that doesn't sound like that works to me but that's what the that's what the witch talk people say so good luck godspeed goodbye you ever talk to your mom about how things are? I don't tell her things. Why not? Because she doesn't look at me like everybody else, and I don't want her to. I don't want her to know. You know what?